to Revelation chapter number 3. Revelation chapter number 3. We're going to look today as our text beginning in verse 14 in this last letter uh, that the Lord gives to these seven churches here in Asia. And he has John to record these things concerning these seven churches. And there are, uh, the, the whole study itself is a wonderful study to get in and read about these seven churches and, and, and all that is given to them. And, uh, but this, this one uh, here, the church at Laodicea, best, probably best describes our society today. Not just, well, I should put it, it best describes our society, but it also best describes what Christianity has become in our world today. And so we're going to be looking at this particular record here, this particular letter that the Lord gives to this church here uh, that is in Asia Minor, uh, this church of the Laodiceans, that, that particular town in Laodicea. Notice with me what he says here, beginning in verse 14. He says, None of the angels of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer now. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for this day. We thank you, Father, for your great grace. Father, we thank you for your mercy that you've allowed us this. Another Sunday morning and this, the end of this year, Father, that we can come into your house uh, to spend this time in worship of you. We pray, Father, that you take our hearts that you take our, our wheels today, Father, that you take our very persons and focus them upon you, we pray. As we study your word, as we sing these songs of praise unto your name, as we lift up these prayers before your throne, Father, I pray that you'd help us to worship you today in spirit and in truth. Bless each soul that's come this way today. Father, that, that indeed we would have that mindset, that that would be our heart as we've met together today, that we've come to worship our Lord. For you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our adoration. You're worthy of, 
of all glory. You're worthy of of our, our presence before you. Father, you are worthy of all that we can bring before you. May you be glorified this day in us. Help us, Father, that we would learn of you. Help us, Father, as we study that we would learn of ourselves and our need for you. Go with us now as we look to your scriptures today, as we look at this passage of scripture. If there be any lost in our midst this day, Father, we pray that you might make known unto them even this very hour Christ Jesus is Lord and Savior. That they might be able to say that they are born again in him. That Christ Jesus has died for them and stood in their place. Father, help us today that we would be honoring to your name. That we would glorify you. Again, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we have many on our prayer list. We've lifted them up before your throne already. You know every need. You know every situation. And we know you're the only one with the answers. Father, we pray your grace on all these we've brought before you this day. Go with us now as we look to your word. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. And for his sake. Amen. Now this last letter here uh, is written, again, seven churches are addressed here in, in John's vision of the Lord, and this is the message that the Lord gives him concerning these churches. From chapter 2 all the way through chapter number 3, we have these seven churches mentioned. They all have different things going on within those particular churches some of them, the, the problems that they had, some of them were self-inflicted problems, some of them were problems from outside, but all of these seven churches, all of them have differing situations, all of them have differing problems that were in their particular bodies for whatever the reason was that they were there, and the Lord was addressing them, the Lord was commending them, and He was correcting them in these seven letters that John writes here. This last one, that he writes to you, this church at Laodicea, they receive no commendation from the Lord. <laughs> there is nothing they are doing right. And yet, they're still one of his. Amen. They're still his church there at Laodicea. And he's writing this purely a letter of correction to them. And we can see again these parallels with this problem there at the church at Laodicea in their day and what was going on, we can see these parallels very clearly in Christianity today. But not only can we see that those parallels in Christianity as a whole, but we can also see those parallels in us. How easy it is for us to be in this same mindset that we have here among this church at Laodicea. Now, this city was founded by Antiochus II uh, somewhere between 261 and 246 B.C. Uh, it had uh, was influenced heavily in its founding with Seleucid. Seleucus was 
one of the four generals of Alexander that divided the kingdom after Alexander's death. And uh, Seleucus originally had control of Syria. Uh, and Lysimachus was the general that took uh, the region here of Asia Minor where the church at Laodicea was, where the city of Laodicea was. Uh, and somehow Seleucus kind of took over parts of Lycomachus' region and he is one that helped establish uh, or at least uh, got it going and, and it was fully founded there by Antiochus II uh, in Lysimachus' territory. Laodicea is about 40 miles east and inland from the city of Ephesus. Uh, and it was on the Lycus River. Uh, it was located in uh, what is known as the Gate of Phrygia. And so it was a well-traveled trade pass from the east to go to Ephesus. Everybody would pass through that area. And so Laodicea became very popular, a very popular trade town. Um, of course, today, Laodicea is in ruins. And its ruins are overgrown, uh, and that's all we've got left of it is those ruins. Uh, but its name means justice or voice of the people. Uh, and it was named for Laodice. Uh, she was the wife of Antiochus II, and so it was named for her. Uh, it was a place of great wealth, it was a place of great commerce. And it was a place of Greek culture. Uh, it was a place of science and of literature. It had a medical school there, uh, renowned in that day, well-known. Uh, but it was also very primitive uh, and very heathen. Uh, there was, in fact, one of the things they were known for, uh, because of the medical school being there, one of the things they were known for was what was called Phrygian powder. This is the place where Phrygian powder was invented. Uh, Phrygian powder was made as an eye salve, which is why the Lord uses that as an illustration here. They were famous for this eye salve, this Phrygian powder. It's also used for ears, by the way. So if you had an ear problem you'd pour in this Phrygian powder. If you had an eye problem, you would put on this Phrygian powder. By the way, it had no medicinal qualities at all. <laughs> it was snake oil, as they would say. Uh, there, was nothing, there was nothing about it that, was, that, that did anything for you. And so if you had an ear problem and you put in the Phrygian powder, or you had an eye problem and you put in the Phrygian powder, you remained with an ear problem and an eye problem with Phrygian powder put on it and made, probably made it worse even. But this, is, this is something they were known for. All it was was clay mixed with spikenard, this Phrygian powder. They just added spikenard, smelled good, so it's, it must have something medicinal quality to it. It's clay and, and perfume and so it's, but that's, that's all it was. It didn't heal anything. But they were famous for this particular thing. Uh, it was a great commercial and industrial city. There was extensive banking operations that were going on in that town. Uh, there was textile industry going on. They specialized in the making of black wool. And they had black wool clothing that was coming out of this place. 
Uh, so they were, they were famous for this. That also, we see that illustration uh, with the banking and the, and the textile there as well as the Lord uses those as examples there. Uh, Jupiter or Zeus uh, was the object of worship in the city. Uh, but later the city was, the reason it's in ruins today, it was abandoned because of the earthquakes that were so prevalent in the area. People finally just left it, left the city. Uh, the earthquakes were too great, and so that was the reason the city was abandoned. We have here now, as the Lord speaks to this church, it's located there. Epaphras, by the way, was their founding pastor. He was one that was, was of course, part of Paul's ministry. One Paul mentioned, even Colossians chapter 1, Paul mentions him there. It was by him that this church was established there in Laodicea. Uh, but by the time you get to John's day here, about 96 A.D., uh, this church had very much become a worldly church. Very much a worldly church. But notice the description here as we see. These things, John's writing the letter, these things, the Lord is speaking to them, these things saith the Amen. The only place where amen is used as a proper name. Amen. Amen simply means let it be. It is so. And the Lord declares he is the amen. What he says will be. What he has declared is done. It, it, the amen has spoken. The very one who, who has set it all in place, the Amen, speaks. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, the, the Amen. Let it be. Let it be. These things saith the Amen. The faithful and true witness, he calls himself. The faithful and true witness. He has proven himself that over and over and over again. He is ever faithful. He is ever true. He's never missed any of his promises. He's never come short in the declarations that he has made. He has done all that he said he would do. And he will continue to do all that he has promised to do. He is the faithful and true witness. And he is the beginning of the creation of God. And there are those that take that, that phrase and they try to twist that to mean Jesus was the beginning of the creation in the sense that he was the first made. That's not what that means. The word there in the Greek is arche, beginning, the ark. In other words, he is the maker of it. He's the one that established it. He is the one that performed it. He is the one that done it, you see. And so when he says he's the beginning of the creation of God, it means he's the maker of the creation of God. He's the one who made it all. Which is exactly what Colossians chapter 1 tells us. Not only is he the one that has made it, 
He's the one that spoke it into existence, but He's the one that holds it into place. All things consist in Him, Paul says there. He is the beginning, the maker of the creation of God. And so this is His declaration here to them. It is He who is speaking these things. And we see in all those letters, it's important, to, if you go back and, and, and read these other letters, we see as the Lord addresses each one, it's significant to notice how He speaks of Himself, of who He is declaring Himself to be to each one of these churches. It's different in every church. It's different to each one of them and what He's declaring to them. Describing Himself to us in these seven letters as He speaks to them. And He says here in verse number 15, I know Thy works. I know Thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. One of the things that, and he uses it, the Lord fills this, these letters with these, these illustrations that they were all too familiar with in those particular areas. And one of the things that Laodicea was known for was their lukewarm water. I, they were right next to the Lycus River, and I don't know exactly why they didn't use, maybe the Lycus River was just a filthy river they didn't want to use. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not, I've, I've never read anything concerning the, the situation with the Lycus River. But they, they built an underground aqueduct. I mean, it was a, a wondrous engineering marvel that they made here in Laodicea. From Colossae, in the mountains there, there was, a, there was coal springs there, and they built an underground aqueduct to bring that water from Colossae all the way to Laodicea. On the other side, at Heropolis, they were known there, they had hot springs there in Heropolis. And they got the idea, well, you know what, we can use some of that hot water down here too. I mean, everybody likes cold water and hot water, especially when you get in the shower in the morning, you want to have some hot water there. And so they thought, well, we need some of that hot water too. And so they brought an aqueduct from the hot springs from Heropolis all the way down to Laodicea as well. And they had these underground aqueducts, one piping hot water and one piping cold water, bringing them to the city. The problem was those aqueducts are not heated or they're not cooled. And so by the time they brought that nice cold water from one place and that nice hot water from another place, by the time it got down to Laodicea, it was all just lukewarm. The cold water had lost its power. The hot water had lost its power. And so by the time it gets to the city, it's lukewarm, and it ain't good for no drinking. You don't want to drink lukewarm water. When I was in the Army, we had them old green plastic canteens. And carried them things on your hip. And it'd be 96 degrees outside at Fort Knox. And we'd be running around and leaving out in the sun. And then that, that green plastic canteen, which, by the way, had its, its cup. It was sitting down in the canteen cup. And then that cup was wrapped up in that nice, nice little 
pouch that they gave you to keep it good and warm in that 96 degree weather. And then when we were in basic training every hour, we had to drink a canteen of water. And the drill sergeant said, all right, get your canteens out and drink those canteens. You don't want to drink lukewarm water. Oh, you don't want to drink lukewarm water. But here, that's, that's what they were known for. Their water was lukewarm. And it, listen, it does exactly what the Lord says. It, it makes you sick. It'll make you vomit if you drink too much lukewarm water. And he says, I know thy works. I know thy works. We can put on a great show for this world to see. We can have all the masks on that we can put on. And we can contort and twist our faces so that there's always a smile and there's always the, oh, I'm wonderful. And we've always got that going on in a, and we can put on that show and we can put on that mask for the world to see and we can, we can go on in our lives pretending like everything is just fine between me and the Lord. And we can fool everybody else. We can fool the world around us. We can fool other church members. We can fool people in the pews with us. We can fool our families. We can fool our friends. We, we're able, we're, we're adapt enough in this world that we're able to do that, to put on that show, to cover things up, to try to, try to make us look okay. We, we are able to, to do that in order that, that nobody knows what's really on and going on in us. We're great. We are great at putting on that mask, putting on that show. We do that well. Fool our neighbors, fool our friends, fool our family. We can even fool ourselves. Amen. You will never. You will never fool God. I know thy works. He knows, he knows all about you. Every single thing. He knows all. Even those things we don't know, He knows. He knows all about us. He knows our, our, the very depth of our heart. He knows Him. I know Thy works. And I'm sure as the church at Laodicea read this letter, I'm sure as they, they had these things pronounced to them, I would say that as they read what was being declared to them here, and, and as far as their problem was concerned, I'd say they never had even thought about that before. Because they thought they were okay. They thought everything was great with them. They thought everything was just what it ought to be. 
fact, their statement was, we have need of nothing. Have need of nothing. The Lord says to them again, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, he said, thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. One of the best explanations I ever heard, Jonathan, he heard it from somebody else. I'm not going to give him credit for it because he, he won't take credit for it, but he heard it from somebody But it's one of the best, best uh, explanations of this I've ever heard is what the Lord's speaking of here, them being lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. I would, he said, that you were cold or hot. The problem is you're lukewarm. And one this, this explanation, I love, it, they were saying, the Lord's not saying, I, I wish you were cold and, and, and not relating to me, or I wish you were hot and 100% on board with me. That's kind of how we usually look at that. But instead, what the Lord is saying here is, you're too far from me. You're too far away from the source yeah. of your power. You too, you're too far away from the source of grace, you're too far away from the source of the strength that you're needing. You separated yourself so far from me that by the time what little you are getting from me, what strength you're getting from me, what power you're getting from me, what help you're getting from me is just trickle down to nothing that it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. There's no power in it at all. And so instead of being cold right there next to the source, or instead of being hot right there next to the source, instead you're so far away from God that it's just lukewarm now, and it only makes Him sick, He says. We've separated ourselves so far from God. We've gotten so far away from Him, and we've done it by our own strength. We've got it by our own power. I don't, Lord, I appreciate all your help. Lord, I thank you for all you've done for me. But I've got this, Lord. I can handle this situation. I can do this myself. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, for helping me all those times there. But I'll take care of this when I've got this. We become self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. That's a good thing in our society. That's a good thing in this world today for people to be self We want people to be self-sufficient. We want them to be doing for themselves. That's a good thing. But not when it comes to spiritual. Not when it comes to life. Yeah, we... It, Understand, we, we like self-sufficiency, but we have to realize that our self-sufficiency is 100% dependent upon our Lord. Without me, ye can do nothing. Guess what he means by that? Without him, you can do nothing. There's no part of our lives... No part of our lives that we can do on our own. Amen. No part. We have to have our Lord for everything. 
absolutely everything. And so he says, you're too far away from the source. You've got to get back to him. You can't stay away from him. You can't stay dependent on yourself. You can't stand in your own strength. You have to get back to the Lord. But their trust had turned from Him. Their trust had turned from His power. Their trust had turned from from what He was working and what He was doing. And their dependence upon Him, their trust then turned to their own power. Their trust then turned to their own selves. Their trust then turned to what they had gained from the world. They were so far away from Him. He said, y'all make me sick. You make me sick. You make me vomit, the Lord says. Spew thee out of my mouth. He says there in verse 17, because thou sayest. This is the reason, he says. This is why he gave them this declaration, because of this that they have said. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We've got everything we need, Lord. Everything's going great for us. We we don't need nothing else. I mean, look. Look what we've got. Look at what we're enjoying. We've gotten to the place of our society that our comforts, our comforts are necessities. Our comforts are in our necessities. And we know better than that. Because we've seen what our grandparents had. We've seen what our great-grandparents had. We've seen the lives that they lived. And many times, much more godly than we live. And how much less did they have? And and they had necessities. (laughs) And they were content with the necessities of life. One of the things that gets me is my my great-grandpa used to build, he used to make chairs, them old ladder-back chairs. And just imagining their household. Everybody sitting in a ladder back chair. I can't sit in a ladder back chair for very long. My couch now, with the recliner and the headrest that rises up, and I don't even have to pull a, 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 a cord or, 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 or ratchet back a handle. I push a button and it goes, 
and lifts my feet up for me and, and lowers me back. And then I push another button that raises the, the headrest up on it so I can see my TV just a little bit better when, I wanna, when I'm wanting to look at it or I can lay it back down if I don't want to see the TV. I mean, that, that's, that's what I've got, you see. And we look at these things. We look at these comforts. We say, oh, I've got to have that. Oh, I need that. Oh, that's just going to make my life better if I have that thing right there. Now, I can guarantee you, nobody in Laodicea has my couch. I know that. And none of them had that recliner that pushed a button and raised up for them. Nobody had that. And yet, this was their mentality. We've got everything we want. We are rich. We're increased with goods. We don't need nothing else, Lord. That was their measure, you see. That was their measure of their success. That was their measure of their greatness. What they had gotten from the world. Rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. These folks had fooled themselves. Because they were comfortable. Because their flesh was taken care of. They didn't need nothing else from the Lord. Comfort in the flesh, if not checked, can keep us settled and weak in our service to the Lord. And we find ourselves just like this church that lay on the sea. Too far from our source. We need our Lord every day for everything. Without me, ye can do nothing. No, that's all right, Lord. No, I thank you, Lord, but I, I, I don't really need you today. I've got everything I need to worry about. I've got everything, Lord, that, that, that's needed for me today. I'm, I'm comfortable today, Lord. I don't need, I'll, I'll check with you Sunday. I'll check with you when I get to church. I'm, I'm okay right now. I've got money in my bank account. I've, I've got a car to drive. I've got a home I'm living in. I'm, I've, I've got comforts throughout, all of them, even heated seats in the car and, I, and, and, and my windshield wipers. Everything's great, Lord. I, I, I've got everything I need. Got, got food in, in the refrigerator. And if, I, and if I don't, if I get tired, of it, I'll just go to McDonald's and get me something. I don't need anything from you, Lord. See you Sunday morning. 
So what does the Lord say? This is what they say of themselves. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But the Lord says, I know thy works. And really, he says, what you are. Really, the situation you find yourself. Really, where you are right now, he says. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Here, this, again, place known for its eyesight. And the Lord tells them they were blind. A place known for its medical school. And they were wretched and miserable. A place known for their textile works. I mean, they were world-renowned for this black wool that they were producing there. And the Lord said, y'all are naked. Full of riches. All the comforts that they could have. And the Lord says, you are poor. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They're in a terrible shape. They're sick. They're weakly. They're blind. Naked. Oh, they saw the needs of others. They saw the sin situation in other people's lives. Oh, did you hear what was going on up at Ephesus? Oh, I can't believe that. Oh, did you hear what was going on down there at Sardis? Oh. They can see everybody else's. They could see where everybody else was wrong. They could see where everybody else was full of sin. They could see where everybody else was struggling under these things. Not us. We're rich. We're increased with goods. We have need of nothing. They believe their own lie. Could not see their own sin. And the Lord says, I counsel thee. I counsel thee. Buy of me gold tried in the fire. Gold tried in the fire. That thou mayest be rich. That, that implies gold that's refined through affliction. Gold refined through affliction. The purpose of burning the gold is to get out the junk. 
And they would, they, would, they would refine it and they would burn it and burn it and burn it. The more you burn that gold, the more that you melt that down and, and, and get that dross out of that gold, the more you do it, the purer that gold gets. And he says, by me. I count, listen, when God says, when God says, let me tell you what you need to do. You better be doing what he says. Do what I'm telling you to do. Listen to what I'm telling Listen to my counsel, he said. You better be doing what he says to do. Maybe it's hard to figure out. Maybe it's hard for you to, to, to make it fit and what you think is best in your situation at the moment. But let me tell you, if he says do it, you better do it. If it's what His Word declares, that better be what you're striving for in your life. I counsel thee. Buy of me gold tried in the fire. You need, you need His riches. You don't need the riches of this world. The riches of this world will not produce peace for you. That gave this church at Laodicea, it gave them a false peace. It gave them a, a false hope. It gave them a false comfort of what they had. In reality, they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Lord, so you, you buy from me the gold. I'll give you the riches. I'll give you the riches that will supply your need. I'll give you the riches that will make you what I want you to be. I'll give you the riches that will truly give you peace. That only comes from Him. Buy me gold tried in the fire. That thou mayest be rich. And white raiment, he says, that thou mayest be clothed. Well, they were famous for their, their black wool. And the Lord tells them they're naked. But he says, get, get my garments. Get my garments. That white raiment, the scripture tells us over in Revelation 19, tells us there that that's the righteousness of the saints. That righteousness of the saints. He says that by that, by those clothes, white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. The righteousness of our Lord is what clothes us. By that, he says, that thou mayest be clothed. And he says, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve. Go over to, hold your place here, go over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 5. And we'll read verse 5 down through verse 9. 
He says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Or agape, love, that highest form of love. And if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Add these things, he says. But he that lacketh these things, add, he says again, to your faith virtue. Virtue, add knowledge. To knowledge, add temperance. To temperance, add patience. To patience, add godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Those things, he said, that's what makes you fruitful before the Lord. That's that fruit that He's producing in you. He said, you, you make it a part of you to add those things. He that lacketh these things, he said. He that lacketh these things. He that has not added these things. These fruits that are not being produced in these individuals. He says that one is blind. And cannot see afar off. And hath forgotten. Peter is writing here to saved people. We can get to a place as the children of God that we get so separated, so far away from the presence of our Lord, so far away from the source that is Christ Jesus our Lord. We can get so far away from Him, we get to a place where we can forget who we are, even in Christ. Now, we may not say that with our mouths. We may not even believe that with our hearts. But it's what is seen in our lives. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. This is exactly... What had happened to this church at Laodicea here? They were blind. And he says, you need to apply some salve. You need to apply that salve. And that salve is the salve of the Holy Spirit. Where he takes the Word of God and applies it to our lives and opens our eyes that we can see. Verse 19, as many as I love. As many as I love. It's not popular in our world today, but the reality is the Lord don't love everybody. He loves His people. Amen. He loves His people. And as many as He loves, He rebukes and chastens. He rebukes and chastens. Those that he 
does not love, he leaves them to themselves. He leaves them to themselves. But those that he loves, he rebukes and chastens. He corrects us. Now he might let us go for a while. He might let us follow our own, our own path and our own way for a while. Do our own thing. Wallow in our sin. He might allow that for a while. But if you're truly his child, he's going to bring that to a halt. At some point, he'll bring that to a stop because he does not leave his children to themselves. He does not leave his children to themselves. He corrects us. And if you've been a child of God in any length of time at all, you know exactly what that is. I have received many spankings from the Lord. And as long as I'm in this flesh, as long as I live in this world, I will continue to receive those spankings from Him. Because He's still working on me. I still have to have that correction. There's too much of me in me. There's too much of the world in me. And so there's a constant, there's a constant correction. He does that because he loves us and will not leave us to ourselves. He does that because he is making us more and more like his son. He does that because he has promised to sanctify us. And so he does not leave us to ourselves. And so we receive that correction. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 6. I want to read verse 5 there as well. He says, You've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. When he spanks us, when we have that heavy hand of conviction on us, he said, don't despise that. Don't despise that. That's the Lord showing us that he loves us. That's the Lord showing you that you're one of his, that you belong to him. So he said, don't despise that. Yeah, it's going to hurt. That correction is never fun. But it's because he loves us. He says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth and let spanking. He whips us. Oh, when I was a kid, my grandma would wear us out and we'd get in trouble with these willow branches. Grandpa had a great old big willow tree in his yard and I only got a spanking from her just a few times. I mean, just a few, but I, it was always with that willow branch and I hated 
that wheel of truth. Big old wheel of truth. And Grandpa hated them little leaves that would get all over his car right after he washed it. And so one day he cut down that willow tree. And we were literally out dancing around that stump because <laughs> there wasn't going to be no more willow branches. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? For if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, in other words, every one of his children experienced that chastening. Every one of his children experienced that spanking from the Lord. Every one of his children have that conviction on them. They recognize the presence of the Lord with them when they are separated from him. Well, he might let us go for a while. He might let you stray for a time. But he always has his cord on you. And he knows how long. But he will bring you back. He will chasten you. He will correct. He will set you right. If you belong to him. And so he says, For if ye be without chastisement, whereof all of his children, are partakers. Then are you bastards and not sons? So if you can go on, you continue on in your sin and continue on in your wickedness and the, the hand of God is not on you and his, his, his chastening is not on you and His conviction is not on you and you can continue on in that wickedness and continue on in that sin and continue on in that worldliness and continue to draw farther and farther and farther away from that source. And you're probably not one of His. If you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. As many as I love, he says, I rebuke and chasten. He says, be zealous. Be zealous. Be filled with the zeal of the Lord. Be filled with adoration, be filled with devotion for Him. Be zealous for Him. And repent. Repent. Turn from that wicked way. Turn from that direction. From that direction that you're going and run back to the source. Run back to the source of power. Run back to the source of peace. Run back to the source of grace. 
It is Christ. Run to Christ Jesus. Let's all stand. For the Gordon, would you bring us a song?